The book of Revelation. Wow. Uh, it's going to be absolutely the most fun we've had in a long time here at Christ the King. And what I'm going to suggest before I read our passage, it is printed in your bulletin. We do that every week, as you know. And many of you bring your Bibles to church. That's good. But during the series, I don't want you to follow along. Don't read along. And uh, don't look at the page. What I want you to do is to listen. Because this is how the people of old would have received this book. They would have heard the book. As you know, most people up until just the last couple of centuries were illiterate. They couldn't read and they couldn't write. And so they had to have a lector or a reader who would read the book and people would listen. And I'm hoping to reproduce some of that with us here as we look at the book of Revelation. And so, don't open your Bibles uh, and don't look at the page. Just listen. You may even find it helpful to close your eyes and just try to imagine what John was seeing. Because the literature in the book of Revelation is unique. It's in other parts of the Bible, but it is throughout this particular book. So now hear God's Word as I read. And I'm going to read all of chapter 1. So pay attention and listen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye shall see Him. Even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail because of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write 
what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash. His head was white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Why bother studying the book of Revelation? Look, for for the whole history of the church, theologians and scholars and great thinkers have steered away from this book. Even John Calvin in his massive uh, set of commentaries does not have a volume on the book of Revelation because it is so enigmatic, it is so complex and difficult, it just can boggle the mind. And yet other theologians have indeed tackled the book and many of them have got caught up in the morass that uh, is there and they've gotten in trouble and the text becomes tortured and laborious and especially in our day we see some of the craziest things that you can imagine coming out of this book. Probably no book in the Bible has had so much damage done to it Maybe the first three chapters of Genesis and the book of Revelation have been tortured by people to the point that they almost don't make any sense. And yet, the book of Revelation is meant to be understood. It is meant to be understood. It's meant to be applied. And there are numbers and symbols and imagery that can just, if you get too much of it after a few minutes, it just boggles your mind. There's numbers, there's twos and threes and fours and sevens 
54 times in the book of Revelation, the number 7 is invoked. There's tens. There's 24 elders. You'll hear about them in a few weeks. There's 144,000. There's the notorious number 666, the mark of the beast. There's 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, a thousand years, a millennium. Yikes. There's seven stars, lampstands, angels, churches, spirits, seals, trumpets, bowls. There's four terrible horsemen. The famous horsemen of the apocalypse with these horrible riders on their backs. There are two witnesses. There are locusts with hair uh, like women and faces like men. There are demon frogs, valleys filled with blood, and carrion birds that are swooping down on the carcasses of dead people and eating their flesh. <laughs> Let me just give you the creeps. There's dragons, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. There's a beast with two horns that looks like a lamb but he speaks blasphemies. And there's a great seductive prostitute, a harlot, riding on the back of the dragon, right in the middle of the book. And listen to the description. It is pure artistry, majesty. Listen. She is clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden chalice full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality and on her forehead written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And the woman, listen, was drunk with the blood of the saints, the martyrs of Jesus. But there's also a vision of a lion who looks like a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There's a city made of pure gold, with streets of gold, with uh, foundations of, of precious gems, with gates of pearl descending from heaven. And there's this great wedding feast of that lamb and of his bride. So, there's the book of Revelation from 30,000 feet. Before we get started, let me say a couple things, and we're going to run through some stuff very quickly this morning just to get you oriented. Uh, and I think John does a good job of doing this in chapter 1, and I hope that you'll go back uh, and read it. And as we're going through the sermon this morning... Uh, please open your Bibles, use the text, now's the time to follow along, check what I'm saying, and look at what he's saying. But I want to encourage a couple things. First of all, 
Because we're in the book of Revelation, we're going to do a, a Q&A right after church. Grab your coffee, grab your donuts, whatever's in there. Come in here, and I'll be in here, and you can just start firing questions. And if I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. If, uh, if I can get away with it, I'll try to bamboozle you. Uh, no. Uh, but I, I, will, I will try to answer whatever I can. Any questions you have, we'll do that for a few minutes uh, after church. If you... If you need to jet after church and you've got a really important question, just tell me. I want to ask mine first. We'll give you privilege. But uh, stay for the Q&A. That's going to be where the magic is going to happen, where we're going to really be able to go down in a little deeper than what we're able to do in the sermon. Secondly, I would encourage you to invite your friends. People are intrigued with this. Uh, the book of Revelation intrigues everybody. And so invite people. Uh, they might uh, enjoy hearing what we have to say about it. And remember this, we are indeed living in the last days. The last days started, mark it down, the last days started on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended into heaven in a cloud and the angel said He's coming back. That's when the last days started. They have been going all these days and they're going to continue maybe for another two million years. We are not studying the book of Revelation because somehow some trigger has been pulled and all of a sudden Jesus is coming really soon. We're studying Revelation because it is relevant to the life of the church every single day that the church exists. Okay? These are the last days. And so we need to look at what he says about the last days. I'm going to give you a strategy for understanding Revelation. Every so often we'll put out some handouts for you. They're up here. Uh, you can only get one if you stay uh, for the Q&A. It's a joke. Uh, you can come up after the service and pick one up if you want it. This is basically an outline of these uh, strategies that we're going to use. And so let me give them to you. I picked seven. You're going to get more during the, the time we go through this. It will be several months in this book, but uh, I picked seven because I want to be consistent with John. And so I picked seven. These are seven strategies. Very quickly, we'll run through them. And I'll make an application with each one. This is how we are going to read the book of Revelation and how we're going to understand it. Now, some of you may come from different traditions. You may have a different understanding. Maybe you've seen, Ni maybe you've seen Nicolas Cage. I'm glad there wasn't that much laughter. That means maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Nicolas Cage has made some movies. They're unbelievably bad, so don't bother going to see them. But maybe you come from a different background. You've heard things differently, and, and that's what the Q&A is going to be. We'll try to answer some of those. But I'm going to take a very biblical approach. We're going to stay with the text. And so these are seven strategies that we're going to use. Number one... And don't write these down. You can pick up the, the handout. It's clearer than anything. Uh, and, and so, but you're welcome to take notes if you want. But listen rather than take notes. Revelation means to be understood. In fact, the Greek word, uh, in verse 1 and 2, he says the revelation of Jesus Christ, God gave to show, and then later he says to make known. It's very clear that what John is going to tell people in this book is meant for people to understand. 
Dr. Vern Poitras, in his commentary, great commentary, in fact, next week I'll have all the commentaries, if I can find a table big enough to hold them. And you can take a look at them. But Dr. Poitras says the book of Revelation is not a puzzle book, it's a picture book. It's not a puzzle. There's not some secret key that you're going to need or that I'm going to give you that's going to just open it all up. It's a picture book. And once you start, to know, what I'm going to do is show you the pictures. We're going to do it just like John did it. And look and you'll go, oh, I, I see that. I see that. And it'll start to make sense. And you'll see what the early church understood about it. And hopefully it will mean something to you. The word revelation is apocalypsis, the word apocalypse that you've heard so much about. And in our parlance, in today's parlance, apocalypse means something terrible that's going to happen. But the Greek word apocalypse and its verb form apocalypto mean to remove the veil, to uncover, to disclose something that's behind it. So apocalypse means to be revealed. Revelation is meant for you to understand and to take what he's writing and saying to you and me and actually apply it to your life. Secondly, the symbolism or the symbolic nature of revelation, Jesus confirms this, by the way, in verse 20. The end of the first chapter, he explains to John, here's what the rest of the book, I'm, I'm just going to give you a clue, here's what the rest of the book is going to be. As for the mystery, the seven stars are the angels, the lampstands are the churches. He explains that the genre of this book is symbolic. And so when you read about the locusts and the faces of men and the hair of women, they are not Black Hawk helicopters. They're not Apache attack helicopters. Jesus already says they're not. He says they're something else. He actually says they are locusts with horrible faces and hair like women. And they have stings in their tails. So it is very irresponsible to take symbolic literature and apply to it literal hermeneutics or literal methods of interpreting. And once you get that, once you start reading it and saying, okay, symbol, what is he, what am I seeing? What am I, what am I looking at here? And not getting down into the weeds of every detail. I have no doubt that every one of you, lights are going to start going on. You're going to go, wow, wow, wow. And the book of Revelation is going to become something you fall in love with instead of being afraid of. You simply cannot read this kind of literature strictly literal like we read other kinds of literature. It's not that genre. It is apocalyptic genre. Very unique. There are symbols and numbers and images. And symbols, listen folks, we all know this. But I need to remind you, symbols point to something else. Images are meant to make impressions. Images are not meant 
for you to go down and look at every single detail of those images. Now, in addition to reading a lot of good commentaries, I had to read a lot of bad ones. And I mean, there are commentators that take the 12 stones that build the foundation of the New Jerusalem and they torture the text by saying, well, you know, uh, topaz is this and, and chrysostomus, whatever that is, uh, that gem is this and emerald is this. And they torture the text when all John is saying is, look at this amazing thing that sparkles and dazzles and is beyond price. Unimaginably beautiful. That's all he's saying. He's not wanting us to, to dissect his symbols. Thirdly, the book of Revelation has a context. And folks, I have pre- for 15 years I've been your pastor at this church, and I have said over and over and over again, Context determines meaning. Don't get your Bible and a lexicon or a dictionary and try to start working things out because it will get you nowhere. Get you in a lot of trouble, actually. Look at the context. Then once you've kind of got an idea what the context is, then go get a dictionary. But context determines Meaning, and there is a context. There is a historical context and a scriptural context. The historical context is John's world. John was writing a book to a church that was beleaguered, that was being persecuted. People were dying because they were Christians. None of you, unless you leave the United States, none of you are going to die for your Christian faith. Just not going to happen here. Not now. Not in 20 years, not in 50, not in 100. So, so just forget about it. It's not going to happen in the United States. Well, you don't know that. Yes, I do. It's just not going to happen here. It's not going to happen in Europe. It's not going to happen. It is happening, but not here. And so when John is talking to these churches, he's not writing a whole big long book that's meant to be for the 21st century. That would be cruel. Send it to all these churches and say, this really doesn't apply to you. It applies to someone else. No, it applies to them. It is historical. Look at verses 4 and 9 and 11. Look how precise John is. John to the seven churches in Asia. I, John, your brother, am a partner in, now listen to this, the tribulation. He actually uses in Greek the definite article. The tribulation. We're in the tribulation right now. There's not a seven-year period of tribulation that is coming. The tribulation to John and everybody meant now living in a world that is opposed to Christianity, violently sometimes and seductively at others. Violently at sometimes and some places and seductively at others and other places. Alright? So there's a historical context. The church is assaulted, listen, by overt violent political forces wanting to kill and destroy the church 
But in the book of Revelation, an equally subversive form of persecution comes where the church is almost lulled to sleep by political and cultural and religious leaders telling you everything is great, it's all blessings, it's all coming up roses. And you can have your best life now, and you can have it all now. Just believe, and you can have it all. And we have political forces that tell us you have rights, people, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the Bible never promises you life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I hate to say it because it almost sounds like blasphemy. You know what the Bible promises you? What did Jesus promise you, church? What did He say to you? In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. No world system is going to promise you anything as good as that. Amen. Can you fall in love with that? That will give you a power to live anywhere, anytime, anyway, no matter what. Nothing can be taken from you if your life is invested in Jesus Christ. And this is what He's calling for. It also has a scriptural context. The Old Testament. The Scriptures in the book of Revelation. are There's 404 verses in the book of Revelation. I know, I've submerged myself in them. 404 verses in the book of Revelation. And out of those 404 verses in the book of Revelation, there are, either, there are either direct quotes or allusions to over 500 Old Testament Scriptures. Imagine that. That means that the book of Revelation not only has a in historical context, it has a biblical context. So we're going to be at pains to see what does the Bible, the Old Testament Bible, the Bible that John had in front of him when he was writing this, what does that have to say about the book of Revelation? Not what the newspaper has to say, but what do these scriptures have to say? What is John actually seeing? And look, if the book of Revelation is historical, and if it is biblical, then it is meant for you to take it in, absorb it, and apply it. You know, in his commentary, Dr. Simon Kistemaker, who's one of my professors at Reform Seminary, and Dr. Kistemaker wrote a huge commentary. In fact, I have it in my briefcase right now. I've been reading through it again. Dr. Kistemaker lived around the corner from me. And when Dr. K would go on his, his trips every summer, he went on these long trips and taught all over the world from Korea to Europe to 
up in New Mexico at our, our seminary up there, Sangre de Cristo. Dr. Kistemaker laments in his commentary. He says, you know, it's a shame. He says, churches and pastors don't ever want to preach on Revelation. They'll preach the seven letters of Revelation, which is chapters 2 and 3, because those are pretty clear-cut, pretty safe. But nobody wants to go into the rest of the book because, oh my goodness, beasts and harlots and dragons and all these other things. And what in the world are we to make of this 144 and 666? And oh my goodness. And, you know, what do we do with all that? And we're going to tackle it. We're going to go for it. And I hope we can, can make it so that it's relevant to you and, uh, and means something to you. The fourth one, very quickly, let's finish these last, is the principle of recapitulation. And again, you can pick up these notes after. The book of Revelation is not chronological. And I think this is where we get into a lot of trouble. It's going to be very hard for all of you. It was for me not to read the book strictly chronological. In other words, starting at verse, at uh, uh, actually at chapter 4, where John is taken up in a vision into heaven, into the very throne room of God. And from that point forward, he's seeing these amazing visions. Uh, From that point forward, if you read the book of Revelation like it's a linear chronological series of events, you are going to have to torture it to death to get it to go anywhere, which is what many commentators do, sadly. On the other hand, if you see embedded in it, and and again, there's a whole other group of commentators that have seen it from the beginning, have said, this is recapitulation, that it uses an ancient method of showing an image and then coming to a conclusion and then the next verse, John says, then I saw this. We tend to think in the West, he means, then the next thing that happens is this series of events. But what John is actually saying when he says, then I saw, it just says that the, that the camera angle switched. I saw this image, then I was moved over here and I saw... Whoa, I saw this image. Then I saw, and he goes over here and he says, then I saw this image. And guess how many times that happens. Just take a wild, let's see if anybody can say, take a wild guess how many times this happens in the book of Revelation. Anybody? How many? Who said seven? How many of you said seven? Come on, make a vote. Yeah, seven. That's right, you're right. Seven times. And when you see it, you can no longer unsee it. You go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. The ancient writers wouldn't have had a problem with that. But Western people do because we're, we pick up a novel. I mean, my favorite book is A Tale of Two Cities. You read, you know, there's a few flashbacks, but... Basically, you're reading chronology. And when you, when you hit a flashback, you know it's a flashback. Charles Dickens actually says sometimes, you know, we're going back in time. But the book of Revelation just goes then and then and then. And it, and, but what you're seeing, the context is telling you. It's, it's just remarkable. So recapitula- recapitulation. You know, Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul, some of you like R.C. He was another one of my professors at RTS. And, and, and R.C. said that our culture, 
And he said this, by the way, in 1977. (laughs) It's amazing. He says, our culture is steeped in right now. Everything for the right now. You've got to live for the moment. And look, I agree. You do have to live in the present because you can't do anything about the past. And you really, there's not a lot. You can do some things to influence the future, but really you've got to live in the present. But he said our culture is just all about the now. And R.C. says, listen, if there is no then then now is meaningless. Right? Think about it. And he's not talking about just then like tomorrow then. He's talking about an eternal then. If there is no eternity, if there's nothing beyond this life, then don't pretend that your life matters right now. Because frankly, it doesn't. When you're dead, you're gone. You go into the grave. You rot. And that's the end. Yes? But if there is a then, are you listening? If there's a then, then R.C. says, Coram Deo. We're living before the face of God. And right now, what? right now counts forever. Don't you love that? Listen, folks, no religion says that. Only Christianity says that. It's remarkable. Structure, again, very quickly. Structured, uh, uh, Revelation is notoriously difficult to outline. So there's not a clear outline. I'm going to give you one, but I'm going to be very careful to tell you this is not very crisp. Because the scenes, as with many, uh, as you can imagine, scenes bleed into one another. Time is fluid in the book of Revelation. Space, you know, you've got Him coming from... Behold, listen, just to give you an idea. Behold, He is coming with clouds. That's the future. And He's coming from where? Heaven. To where? Earth. Every eye will see Him. How is that possible? Now He's... If he's every eye is going to see Him, He's talking about everybody everywhere. How is that possible? Even those that pierced Him. Now He's going, He's jumping. This is all in one sentence, by the way. It's in verse 7. Now He's jumping into the past. Even those who pierce Him. Wow! And then He says, all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Oh my goodness! Now He's off in the future. With everybody, all tribes everywhere. So he's gone from heaven to earth, space, this way, that way. He's up and down and forward and backwards and present and past and future and space and earth in one verse. Remarkable. And so it's hard to structure. And last of all, these last two, that was number five. These are the last two. They're most important. Throughout the series, what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you two questions. What do you see? What do you see? Look at verse 4. Blessed is the one who reads aloud and those who hear and those who keep. He's talking about the, the necessity to look at what you are seeing and then applying it to your life. It's not an academic exercise. It is meant to go in and do something in here. 
And so the imagery, the numbers, the pictures, these, these amazing visions, which to us, you know, Hollywood and CG and all that has kind of made us used to the extraordinary, but imagine what John was seeing. Dragons with seven heads and ten horns and these amazing beasts and these powers and armies of hundreds of millions and blood and gore and, and glory. Unspeakable. Really something. What do you see? And finally, the last question, we'll ask this question every week, I'm going to ask you today is, who do you see? What do you see? But who? Who do you see? Every image, every number, every symbol, everything you see is pointing to a who. Let me show it to you. It's there in chapter 1. It's clear as a bell. What is it? Listen. Verse 4. Listen to this. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and was and is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here it is. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who do you see? John labors throughout the book, but nowhere more clear than right here in this verse to preface everything he says, to make sure that everything he says is reminding you of this fact that in the later verses here in verse 13, don't read it, don't even look at it, I just want to read it to you, listen. When I turned to see him who was speaking, I saw seven golden lampstands. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash. His head and hair were white as wool. As his uh, eyes were blazing like flames of fire, his feet were like polished brass, uh, re- uh, br- bronze refined in a fire. His voice thundered like a mighty ocean. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth his face was like the sun in all its brilliance when I saw him I fell at his feet as if I were dead he laid his right hand on me and said don't be afraid I am the first and I am the last 
Folks, before John ever, ever, ever gets to this glorious, amazing portrayal of Jesus, the great King, the sovereign God, whose picture is identical to the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel. We're not talking about some angelic creature. We're talking about God Himself in all His revulgence, completely stripped of every humiliation. Before John ever goes to verse 13, he makes sure you and I know that it took Jesus to go to verse 4 first. That He had to go there first. That this Savior, your God, my God, the One who loves us and gave Himself for us, He had to go to the cross for you, as you, for me, as me, so that we could see Him like this. And so, as you will see, someday we will be taken into that glory like a bridegroom takes his bride into his arms and loves her forever. Amen. Will you trust him? That's what the book of Revelation is about. Here it is. Will you trust me? Will you? And I pray you will. Let's pray. Father, What an amazing vision this is of our Lord Jesus Christ in all His glory. And yet we are painfully aware that He had to pass through this veil of tears that Jesus went into the valley, not of the shadow of death, but into the valley of death itself so that each and every one of us would only be touched by the shadow, not by death itself. Jesus Christ is Lord and Master of the universe. And Father, as we come to Your table to be fed in our hearts by faith, I pray that You will remind us of this brilliant, glorious vision of Jesus Christ that we can live our lives and aspire to serve Him and love Him, the only true God, the King of the universe, who bowed down and loved us, even to death on the cross. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, O God, according to Your grace. Amen.